Chapter 2. Lucy. Sometimes no one will be your tower and you will have to be your shelter. That's a harsh reality to learn as you grow up without a father. Not that he had passed away or anything. On the contrary. The worst pain of losing a father is when he is still alive and wants to be lost. But Lucy had understood since she was a child that she would have to fight alone and brave life with the same bravery that the Polynesians had to discover America thousands of years before. With such courage, she faced her mother's death and did it alone, since her father had become even more distant then, fleeing the problem on expeditions to distant islands. Through the window before her, she now observed all that she had built up since then, a life surrounded by a canvas. And beneath the arms that held her frail face, two works that showed her interest in the study, the ego and the ID, and a general introduction to psychoanalysis. The boredom, however, was tangible. How was it possible that even studying what she loved most, the human mind, had become so dull? Sometimes she could not explain her mind, which frustrated her deeply since this was the very purpose of going to university in the first place. Even that proved to be uninspiring. There was still something missing. A raison de terre. She was soon driven from these thoughts, however, by the now ringing mobile phone, which she answered automatically without thinking and with a tone still rough by sleep. Lucy Lane introduced the conversation I had earlier overheard in the lab room. Hello. On the other end, a hesitant voice swallowed saliva, trying to find the right words. Hello? Who is it? Lucy asked again. Lucy, it's me. Dad? The surprise in her voice was the result of years of absence from the figure who now sought her out. After the loss of her mother, she had become pretty close to the only adult her father knew at the time, the man who funded Anthony Lane's expeditions, Frederick Frost. Without letting Lane know of Lucy's mother's death and without providing her contact details to the authorities in force, the president brought her to his home and took care of her, feeling sorry for the child. As well as, of course, not wanting her father to return before the end of the expedition. After returning and learning of the tragedy, her father became even more absorbed and dwelt on plans for future voyages, leaving her emotionally helpless. And now he would resurface as a white-haired phoenix? What could be his interest? Do you need anything? Do I need something? What do you mean? No, answered her father, unable to understand the sarcasm. Actually, I called you because this might be the most important important trip we're going to make. We have a solid report from a reliable witness. It's, it's the most important moment of my life, Candy. I would like you to accompany me. Lucy was silent for a minute. So, this is the most important moment of your life. She thought. Even my birth wasn't more important than that damn trip. He hasn't changed a bit. She took a deep breath and returned. With all the respect, Dad, you were never around when I needed you. Why do you expect me to act any differently? I know, I know. I am aware of that. That is precisely why I have to correct my mistake. And I believe that spending this time in your company will be rather pleasant. 
we will do the initial planning at 6 a.m. at my place. You're still hunting unicorns, aren't you? Well, have fun. I'm not going to chase illusions with you. Hearing the other side's breathing get faster, she knew she had managed to hurt her father in his most sensitive spot. They are not illusions, young lady. Remember that perspective can affect reality, and the fragments I found are seen by many yes, as real evidence. Sorry. In fact, <laughs> in fact, with them, I have proven that the Tasmanian tiger is alive and that it is just as real as the Tasmanian devil. And I hope you have not forgotten my sighting as a child. I saw... Saw a quadrupedal animal, stout-looking and red-skinned, with a long skull, a jowl that stretched out from under its jaw, and tiny plates that covered its back. Yeah, Dad, no matter how hard I try to forget your stories, they always come back to me in detail. But I also remember that this creature of yours is much older than the Tasmanian tiger. About 249 million years older, to be precise, and the name is Erythrosuchus. But do you know what's even older? Sharks and crocodiles. And if you watch documentaries, you may have noticed that they are still alive. Dad, why are we even talking? Listen, you are not going to get what you never gave to others. With the last assertion, Lucy hung up in unison with Anthony Lane. With her face buried in her hands, she was tormented by the terrible guilt of treating her father as harshly as she had treated her, and at the same time sought to justify her attitude by his lack of love. Back in the laboratory, I watched helplessly as my tutor wept with his hands clutching his chest as if, he, as if the emotional pain had turned into physical pain. On my part, the feeling was that my responsibility was to put out the flames of already charred wood. There was little that could be done. Eventually, he lifted his reddened and swollen face and averting his gaze so as not to face my eyes, commanded me. Be at my house at 6 a.m. without fail, Kevin. Yes, Dr. Lane, I'll be there. Despite my desire to hug him, I did not feel that the mood was mutual. I turned away, therefore, and let him pass beside me, walking happily, despite being no more than the husk of a human being. That appropriately dreary and rainy evening, Lane stepped out into the street, proceeding slowly towards his house, his hands in the pockets of his white social trousers, as he never wore an overcoat, but preferred a waistcoat whenever he was on stage. The cold rain was struggling to cool his face, almost evaporating as soon as it touched its warm surface and mixed with tears. His long hair, now drenched, covered his eyes and required to be removed from, it, from over his eyes at every turn, which he did only automatically, without really looking around. As he approached home, memories of many years before returned. Ghosts of a time when the great opportunity to go on expeditions had not yet been offered to him, and, as if seeing someone else's story, he saw his body transform. His posture straightened, and he felt himself feeling with vigor again. The only resemblance to what he would one day be was the green waistcoat over his social shirt, because even his long hair was as dark a shade as the night. Carrying bags and shopping pack packets, 
this younger, healthier version of himself saw the lefty figure of a merry child passing him by, shooting towards the low gate. Also lefty, he said, Lucy, wait for me, and sped to open the gate covered with flowering branches of wax flower, not realizing that it was bare of any beauty, covered now only by rust, the sign left by long periods of absence. As he opened the door and threw the groceries on the table, he too threw himself into an armchair, watching the child bring boxes and more boxes of toys to play at his feet. With this beautiful sight, he fell asleep, sitting in the also-aged armchair, uncomfortable and with the internal structure broken, but never given away, as it was the only piece that remained from that beautiful past. Lucy was lying in her bed, taking advantage of the only opportunity a campus gave anyone to think. At night, when everyone was finally silent, her eyes burned with the lack of sleep, but it was already obvious that it wasn't coming after all. For the dean, Frederick Frost, she would hear frequent reports about Lane's declining health, especially how it was getting harder for him to walk. It was hard to imagine her father suffering from his stubbornness and never even getting a phone call or a visit, whether it was out of shame or whatever. With how long he spent far from home, often for months on end, they had rarely seen each other during her childhood and adolescence preferring to call on his birthday and holidays. But what did those acts matter if, for the rest of the year, he neither called nor was present? And this was her sad saga, until one day he returned home, only to find that she had already become an adult and was in college. In her mind, all this seemed to excuse her behavior perfectly, but for some reason, it all seemed just that, an excuse. During those years, she had learned to hate her father, then to cry, and finally to just be indifferent. But she also learned to be decisive, so she decided to act differently, always being there for her friends and anyone else who needed her. This time it was her father who needed it, and even though he didn't deserve it, he was going to see that she was a far superior human being to him. In the morning, I met with Dr. King, who was already waiting for me outside the lab so that we would soon go to Lane's house to plan the details of the expedition, which we always did in private places at King's request. He, by the way, looked around as we walked together through the streets, giving me the worst feeling one can have. I felt like a contraband item, my mere presence being a cause of, for such embarrassment to that man. Before six, we were knocking at the door of the leader of our expedition, but without an answer for long minutes. My companion walked around the house, seeking a window through which to see if anything had occurred. Since I regarded such snopping as inappropriate, I remained on the veranda, waiting for his return, even though my curiosity suggested that I could accompany him. Soon, however, I heard his call in a tone of complaint. What's an absurd? Kevin, come see this! I rushed to join in the intrusion for now. There was a valid reason for me to do so. So he'd tell us to wake up early and he's still asleep. I swear he'll pay. Continued Jacob Keane vociferously. The sunbeams came peacefully through Anthony's Lane's window, revealing the interior of the house, which could not be fully understood in the darkness of the previous night. There was a little, however, to be understood, for the furniture... 
and parts of the house were of the less pleasing to look. Everything there reflected his fondness for old objects, but mostly his disregard for everything. Cobwebs and dust accumulated on an old wooden horse on the table, and even on the blue armchair where our master now slept. It was almost possible to see the same webs forming overlaying himself. Running back to the door, King knocked harder and repeatedly. Inside, the delicate clouds of Lane's dream were slowly fading, and now he heard a sound that intensified over time. So painful was it to hear the sound that he was forced to awake, with a little pressure on his chest. Looking at the door, he identified the source of his distress. Someone was knocking, probably with a battering ham. Body, Lane said with a sigh. I wasn't expecting any Pakistanosaurus today. Still yawning, he went to answer us. His knuckles cracking on the way to the door. When it was finally open for us, we simply received a good morning without further explanation. Still dismayed, but somewhat relieved to be able to enter the house without being spotted by any of the students, King protested. I'm afraid you've missed a time, Dr. Lane. It is now 6.30. The owner of the house, who then had his back turned to us, turned slowly to the clock and then to King and returned. Yes, but I was where we agreed to meet, wasn't I? I felt that next to me, King was returning to the same fury as before. But he had to control himself. I couldn't help but laugh at Lane's mockery of such unwarranted anger. And knowing his spirit, I was sure he laughed too. As soon as he turned around again, If you'll excuse me, he began leaning back in his armchair and pointing out a dubiously trustworthy sofa to us. We sat down carefully, fearing breaking the old piece of furniture, and turned to our interlocutor. King beside me, having his arms crossed, the elderly scientist continued. You see, yesterday I called my daughter and told her about our expedition, but she didn't want to know any more details. Maybe I left too many marks on her. Unfortunately, I think I got too depressed and slept with a great deal of sadness in my heart. Even the alarm clock couldn't wake me up this morning. I understand, Dr. Lane, but uh, I expect a more professional attitude from you. King replied. If by professional you mean cold and unfeeling, Jacob, perhaps you should look for another old man because I'm not like that. Not anymore. I silently watched this exchange of provocations between the two, remembering the hospitality with which the gentleman had treated me. From the stories I had heard, I concluded that he had regretted the way he had treated his daughter when she left home, and the reality hit him like a thunderbolt. I witnessed that it had prompted him to improve internally, corrected his mistakes, and, if possible, make amends for the best. Now, however, there was no hope in his eyes. His deep, always half-closed eyes stared at the ground without movement or expression. Well then, he said, finally raising his face to us. Let's get down to the details. As I have already told you, we have been contacted by a witness who claims to have spotted a cryptid on the island of Ambungi. Ambungi. The description, which matches a mythical being in local folklore known as Kayai Munu, also matches the current view we have of some prehistoric animals. Regarding the characteristics cited by Mr. Munipi, I have isolated a specific genus, Dinochiris. 
the shape of the body, the large claws, in short, everything matches what we know about these creatures. Provisions can be purchased in Murian, and from home, we will take only sleeping bags and tents. All right, then. We'll get started. Lang then closed his eyes, reciting the agenda for that week. We need the full mapping of Ambungi and the islands near it. Amgi and Alagi. Alagi. Try to get satellite images, topo topographical maps, articles from previous expeditions, and short the whole thing. Yes, sir. I replied knowing that the order was addressed to me, even if he wasn't looking at me. Now get the sleeping bags, he volunteered. I understand that you also have to return to the university to give one of your lectures. If those are all the details, uh, we can leave. Saying this, he attempted to get up, but dropped back on the sofa when he got no response from his interlocutor. Without saying anything, Lane got to his feet and began to walk around his furniture, muttering an incomprehensible litany. His movements seemed intended not only to meditate on his difficulties, but mainly to delay us and prevent anything from happening. His dismayed expression showed the anxiety he felt for some reason unknown to us. He did not feel complete, not while his conscience blamed him and made him bleed inside. In his mind, Anthony Lane was even considering canceling the trip, perhaps uh, as a form of self-flagellation as a means of destroying this source of happiness as well, and a figure was forming in his thoughts, a form without a body that needed to be given one. Worried for the doctor, I thought to say something and probably thought so too, Jacob, though he had his left eyebrow raised in a sign of disdain. Just then, we heard a soft but decisive knock on the door, which brought Lane's ritual to a close after all. Heading for the entrance, he still dragged his feet, but did so quickly, eager to answer the door, and slid it open behind him. As he had managed to hold us longer there, Lane was rewarded with the materialization of his figure, as if the door had become a portal to his mind. In a trembly, almost indistinct voice, he called out, Lucy, you've come! All right, that was gorgeous. Was Yay. so really beautiful. I loved yeah. it. So did I. Yeah. So I, I, I hate my father. <laughs> <laughs> so did I in real life. Um, <laughs> Why won't you look at that? Yeah. So you, you guys. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, so Lucifer is my story. That, that's why I, I wrote Oh, it. great. <laughs> That's why it feels so realistic. Nice. Anyways, you guys, this is going for the comments after the recording. So uh, first off, Larissa, I have to introduce you. Who are you, mate? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Larissa. I'm 28 years old. I'm from Campo Grande, Mato Grosso do Sul. And I know Matthew since we were 15. We met in English classes. And we hated each other, and now we love each other. And he's my brother, I'm, I'm his sister. And he introduced me to Daniel. And now we're all best friends, and we'll live life together forever. <laughs> Yay! And, and build a hippie community. Uh, yes. yes. 
of crazy people. Yeah, <laughs> and only eat the things that the Earth gives us. Oh yeah, yes. provides beautiful. Sure. So, sure. you know, uh, Larissa is also <laughs> yeah. a Jurassic fan. So that's why it's so fitting that she's here and that she's doing my main character's voice. Uh, of course, Lucy has not been uh, much present in this uh, first and second chapter because she's supposed to be mysterious, right? Everything in this story is unsettling. So how do you feel about your character so far? I love her. I, I truly connected with her. <laughs> okay. uh, what noise was that? <laughs> uh, something or someone just fell uh, on my roof. It was uh, a bit weird. Oh, this is not spokling. This is not spokling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, one of those skanks. Oh. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Matt, how do you like uh, Dr. Oh. Lane and, and Kevin O'Reilly? Oh, I, I love the Yod Man. Yod Man <laughs> is my my spirit animal he's a person. He's a person. no he's not he's terrible he's terrible yes he's yes but the old man idea of him is is it defines me as a person oh <laughs> and the narrator kevin o'reilly the irish boy oh yeah he, he seems nice oh yeah he's there he's, <laughs> uh... he's there okay. yeah he, he seems like that <laughs> The graduation or post-graduation student that the professor likes and makes him do everything. And he's just there like, okay. Sure, why not? And he's like sure. the only one who understands the troubled soul the professor has because yeah. of all the past history. Oh. Yeah. That's, yep. totally. that's, that's <laughs> him. And he's like, I despise you, but I kind of I kind of like you because you you give me scientific opportunities. That's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so what do you expect to happen to these uh, four characters in the oh. next 300 pages? I don't know. <laughs> I think anything uh -huh. can happen. Lucy showed up last minute. Yes, yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> I hate her for that, girl. Yeah. Oh, you girl are. Girl, run away. You, you are one of those guys who's much more responsible and would have arrived like uh, half an hour earlier. Nah, I think I would be late as well. Oh, because I'd be just like Keen. He was there before six a.m. I mean, I am Keen. That's my character. So, <laughs> oh man, but. Uh, what are you feeling so far, huh? Uh, any guess of um, who's the villain, who's the good guys? I think the doctor the is going was. to die. Uh, so, yes, I did, Larissa, but oh. then again, there are several villains throughout this story. Oh, yeah, I, I okay. understand that. And there are at least nine I think the worst of them is Anthony Lane. <laughs> <laughs> he's I think the, the worst. I think he's going to die in a very painful way while uh, while his daughter watches and in the end she will be at peace with his death wow okay yes man it's you're possible you're pretty cruel <laughs> all right so you know yeah uh we have to wrap this up but uh i want you to know Jurassic fans that our book and then one and discovery is available now on amazon okay it is pretty cheap if i might say so myself six 
and um, 84 cents. So I mean, not even seven dollars. That's you know, just go for it. <laughs> yeah, you can get a reading opportunity for less than a Big Mac. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that just comes to show how expensive McDonald's has become. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> God damn it. Sad. All right. That's great. Yeah, I guess the so. book, uh, the book, not McDonald's. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. About my <laughs> So See, we're, we're we're receiving this this comment from a unbiased person. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. she could she could have just said, "I hated it." Why did you invite me here? She could, <laughs> she could. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or else, yeah, you can also buy that with uh, as a Kindle. All right, which is even cheaper than that. Yeah. And with Kindle Unlimited, that's for free for you. All right, I'm the one who pays actually. So, yeah, if you want to read something and have me pay for that, that's all right. Just buy the Kindle Unlimited version. But if you want to stick your nose into the book and go <gasps> like I enjoy doing, just buy yes. the paperback. Yeah. Right. That's my Best book experience ever. That. Yep. Book lovers get that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. All right, Al. So uh Larissa, where can people find you beyond this podcast? Um in my house. I'm just kidding. Uh <laughs> I have many Instagram accounts. Uh one of them is at artist.lady, and the other one is at Lighty seven, yeah, right. that's that. And on Twitter is it's at Lighty Pestana, but it's Lighty with an Y, and that's it. <laughs> All right, links down Multi-platform below. girl. Yeah. yeah, links in the description, y'all. All right, so uh, Matthew, people who can also find you somewhere else other than in this podcast, and you take nice pictures. I remember the flower. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, I posted a, a flower these days. You, you can find me on Instagram at, at <laughs> Matt RDMS. All all together all together at Matt RDMS. Yep. There you go, y'all. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for doing this project with us. And uh, well, we'll be seeing y'all next week, Jurassic fans. Keep going for the scope. Bye. Bye-bye.